Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. This has been one of those challenging weeks for a movie reviewer here in Wellington, at any rate, when most of my local cinemas have been commandeered by a film festival, the French Film Festival, to be precise. Not to complain about the quality of the films themselves, French festival films are generally charming and entertaining. They're just no good to me. By the time I post a review, they're long gone, though I live in hope the best ones will eventually return in general release. And now, rien pour vous est exclusivement Flower Burger Boot. Un homme qui ne font jamais, même au contact des plus belles femmes de Paris. C'est magique ici. Alors la piste, elle était bonne. Non. But festivals do tend to clutter up the cinemas, leaving not much room for anything else, apart from one obvious blockbuster. It's the third of the rebooted Jurassic World series, and if you want to be picky, the sixth Jurassic Park. And talk about clutter. That's the trouble with big movie franchises. They start with a simple idea. In this case, what if they brought back dinosaurs, making sure to lock them up safely? Oh no, the lock's broken. But then the inevitable sequels and the inevitable clutter. More dinosaurs. More made-up, improved dinosaurs. What is that? Biggest carnivore the world has ever seen. Run! See? Not so bad. You wonder if the creators of these films weren't paying attention to their own scripts. You don't need to up the wow factor. They're dinosaurs. They're wow enough. You just want to set anti-clutter queen Murray Kondo onto these films. If the Japanese organiser ever made a film, it might look like the latest by Drive My Car director Ryosuke Hamaguchi, an award-winning trio of extremely uncluttered short stories called Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. There's a scene in one of them where a woman arrives in a tiny hotel room with just a bed in it. No furniture, nothing on the wall. She herself has brought no luggage and collapses on the bed. You don't get much more minimal than that. I needed one more film, and for want of anything better, I turned to the increasingly beleaguered Netflix. And for anyone who's ever cried out, I don't want a blockbuster or an intellectual art film, I just want a movie. I have to confess, I've done that a bit recently. Well, be careful what you cry out for. You need to fix this. You know what to do. 
Burnham. He's so close to delivering. He has a family. We made him guarantees. It's called The Informer, and it turned out to be as generic as its title. Did you know that there have been over 300 films with Informer in the title? And despite a promising cast, Joel Kinnaman, Clive Owen and Rosamund Pike, it could have been any one of them. But first, what's going on in Jurassic World? A baby raptor? I made a promise we would bring her home. You made a promise to a dinosaur? Yeah. Why? There's a scene in the latest Jurassic film, Jurassic World Dominion, that seems to sum up everything that's good and bad about the film. Our hero, or rather one of our several stellar heroes, is racing through the narrow alleyways of Malta with not only bad guys on his tail, but also several modified lethal dinosaurs. I mean, wow, right? Everybody hold on to somebody. Can't be right. When did Jurassic World stop being cautionary tales about arrogant scientists playing God and turn into a sort of mashup of a Jason Bourne story with digital monsters attached? Though, to be fair to this film, many of these dinosaurs are gigantic animatronic models, and the puppetry involved is pretty impressive. Creation is an act of sheer will. Life will find a way. Well, you can't say that Jurassic World Dominion thinks small. There was an entire opening sequence of various dinos of various states of plausibility bashing away at each other back in the first Jurassic Age. Well, that scene seems to have been relegated to appearance in trailers only, possibly crowded out by everything else. We can't keep her here forever. They find her, we're never going to see her again. we got to protect her. That's our job. Well, let's try and marshal the several plot lines. You may or may not remember that in the last Jurassic World film, young Maisie released the last surviving dinosaurs into the wild. She then went into hiding with lovable Owen and Claire, Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard. They also adopted Owen's faithful raptor, Blue. Blue had a baby. That's impossible. Hey, girl. You look just like your mother. Against all odds, Blue's had a baby, despite, like all these dinosaurs, having no mate. But it seems dinosaurs don't need a mate to populate the Earth. As eccentric chaos theory academic Ian Malcolm says, life finds a way. Yes, Ian Malcolm from the first films is back. We're racing toward the extinction of our species. We not only lack dominion over nature, we're subordinate to it. Incidentally, is there any actor less likely than Jeff Goldblum to be playing a character called Ian Malcolm, who sounds like someone who went to school with Boris Johnson? Anyway, if Malcolm is on deck, can the rest of the initial trio be far behind? Come in, Laura Dern as genius scientist Ellie Sattler and Sam Neill as noble fossil hunter Alan Grant. Ellie Sattler. Alan Grant. You didn't come out all this way just to catch up now, did you? You coming or what?
They've been roped in because people are kidnapping dinosaurs from all over the world, I think I've got this right, and selling them at an unsavoury dino slave market in, why not, Malta. And worse, they're being sent to a giant dinosaur prison farm run by unscrupulous scientists who are planning to do something ecologically wrong with them. Humans and dinosaurs can't coexist. We created an ecological disaster. These dodgy scientists, led coincidentally by a scientist actually called Lewis Dodgson, have already kidnapped both Blue's dinosaur daughter and young Maisie for their own nefarious reasons. I promise you, I am going to get her back. Well, meanwhile, there's a lot going on, punctuated by increasingly exotic dinosaurs. Dinosaurs you have some difficulty getting your head around. There are furry ones, feathered ones, flying ones, gigantic swimming ones, dinosaurs all over the place. That's another plane, right? Not exactly. And speaking of all over the place, the plot seems to be several exercises in separating the film's stars for as long as possible before finally allowing them to team up. We've got the Jurassic World people, Owen and Claire, chasing after their kidnapped foster child, Maisie, and her pet dinosaur. Come back. I always come back. There's the older Jurassic Park couple, Ellie and Alan, chasing after rogue scientists somewhere else and stopping along the way to fall in love again. Meanwhile, in another part of the plot, Ian Malcolm is playing a game of his own, working for the dodgy Dodgson. Or is he? Genetic power has now been unleashed. We made a terrible mistake. The doomsday clock might be about out of time. And all the time, lest we forget, there are all manner of gigantic dinosaurs coming at them from all sides. How come there are so many of them, we wonder? I know life finds a way, but really? If our world's going to survive, what matters is what we do now. I can use your expertise. Jurassic World Dominion was famous for being about the only film of this size still in production when the world was in lockdown. Like the first dinosaurs in the first Jurassic Park itself, it was a miracle it got made at all. But the producers were never satisfied with what they had. Don't, Don't move. Bigger. Why do they always have to go bigger? That line, why do they always go bigger, was actually cut out of the film, which is a perfect example of shooting the messenger, I would have thought. Incidentally, everyone in Jurassic World Dominion is perfectly fine. The actors, the digital wizards conjuring up half the dinosaurs, the animatronic wizards creating the other half. It just needed to be scaled back a bit. Bigger, so rarely, is automatically better. The Indominus Rex makes us relevant again. The Indominus Rex. We needed something scary and easy to pronounce. You should hear a four-year-old try to say Archaeornithomimus. You should hear you try to say it. 
Like all those dinosaurs in Jurassic World, life finds a way in the movie business. No matter how many obstacles are put in their way, films get made, pandemic or no pandemic. And often they end up on Netflix, which is where I found this week's Dark Horse, The Informer. The General's one of the major importers of fentanyl. We're going after him. We have a source inside. He's a convicted felon. This is bad business. The Informer is standard cops and robbers fare with a rather mixed bag of ingredients. On the plus side, our hero, Pete, is played by Joel Kinnaman, the Swedish-born tough guy actor who made his name in the American TV version of The Killing. Are you a princess? Maybe. Really? Give me a kiss! Give me a kiss! Give me a kiss! Give me a kiss! Prince Super Charming is back! Yeah. It's happening. Here he plays a shady figure tied up with that too often overlooked organisation, the Polish Mafia. But Pete's not what he seems. He's working undercover as an informer for the FBI. And as so often the way in this sort of movie, the FBI seems to be populated entirely by British actors. In this case, Rosamund Pike and Clive Owen. This is recording now and we'll be recording the whole time. Oslo was a convicted felon. He is also an informant for the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Now, I like all of these actors, but doubts started to set in when I saw the list of the Informer's producers. There are 42 of them, as well as an Italian director and an original novel written by two Swedish chaps. About now, I started to get a little nervous. We have a buyer. I want to take everything you've got, Calderon. You're a cop. These guys find out you're a cop, you're a dead man, you understand? Oh, well, beggars can't be choosers, so let's crack on. Pete, the FBI's inside man, is about to shut down the gang when something goes wrong. It seems there's another inside man. This one works for the L.A. Police Department, if you were wondering. Who's gumming up the works? Pete tries to save him, but some people just won't listen. I'm going to give you one chance, and I'm going to give it to you in a few seconds. No, freeze! That's where I can see him, NYPD! Bad business. Stozik tells me that the cop was pointing the gun in your face. You now owe the price of your life to Wojtek. How much is your life worth? The head of the Polish gang, the general, tells Pete that he now has to go back to jail for various complicated reasons where he'll sell drugs to the inmates. A captive market, so to speak. Well, Pete asks for help from his FBI handlers. You'll break your parole. Get back to prison. Anyone can get drugs inside. It's you. I want out. We go along with the general's plan. Evidence of fentanyl being methodically distributed inside a state prison buries the general for good. And if that happens, you're a free man. But for even more complex reasons, those 42 producers were clearly all putting their two cents in at the script meetings, the FBI decide Pete should go to jail so he can blow the whistle on the general's new nefarious scheme. Pete quibbles. The last attempt to blow the whistle on a nefarious scheme was hardly a resounding success. But Rosamond and Clive reassure him, promising they'll look after his family. I don't have kids. I would suffer too much if something happened to me. Please, Daddy, come back home. I'm scared. I'm doing everything I can. I'm coming for Pete. 
Incidentally, Mrs. Pete is played by another star-in-waiting, Cuban actress Ana de Armas, who's popped up in everything from Blade Runner 2049 to No Time to Die without ever quite getting over the finish line. Here, she tries to warn Pete before he gets in too deep. If you go back inside, you'll never get out. I'm here to investigate the death of somebody very close to me. And by too deep, I mean hunted down by various cops and robbers. Leading the former is an actor simply called Common, who, by his name I assume, has a day job in the music business. I've seen him in several movies, always playing the same character, dogged and decent. We can't have this detective find out that an FBI informant was present during the murder of one of his own. You want to pitch your field office against the biggest police department in the world? We love us a good fight. As is always the way in movies about people working undercover, sooner or later our hero falls foul of both sides. In a world, as they used to say, where criminals and shady federal agents are equally unreliable, in the end, the only person Pete can count on is himself. What are you thinking? Burn He has a family. We looked him in the eyes. We made him guarantees. The Informer is the equivalent of one of those airport books from back when people read books on planes. And like them, your interest lasts only as long as you keep turning the pages. Once you've closed the book, it's over to be forgotten before you even reach customs. I'm the hangman, and I just put a tight noose around your neck. I'm not getting out of this. This ends now. Surprise. This year's Oscar for Best International Film went to a cool, intriguing Japanese film called Drive My Car. Part of the appeal of the film, directed by Ryosuke Hamaguchi, was its resolute refusal to go where you expected. That and its determination to take its time getting there. You could say the same about another film by Hamaguchi, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy was actually shot at the same time as Drive My Car. It was finished when the bigger film was closed down by the COVID lockdowns. Because Wheel of Fortune was smaller in scale, it's three cut-back short stories with a bare minimum of characters, it was able to be completed first and won the jury prize at last year's Berlin Film Festival. Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy is a cryptic name for three deceptively simple stories, all told in a few very long shots, and all with a woman in her 30s as the lead character. The first, magic or something less assuring, starts with a photographic model, Miko, driving home with production assistant, Gumi. They talk about Gumi's new boyfriend, a man who sounds very familiar to Miko. The second door wide open sees a married woman having an affair with a feckless younger man who wants her to help him set a trap for his professor. But when she agrees to go along with it, things take an unexpected turn. 
私がずっと先生を誘惑していたと気づいていますか The third and for me the best of the three stories is called Once Again. A woman goes back to her old hometown for a school reunion. She normally hates that sort of thing. And the next day at the railway station, she spots the woman she actually went to the reunion to find. But every event isn't quite what the characters expected going in, and nor is it what we expect as an audience. The pace is leisurely. Sometimes they almost feel like they're happening in real time, and then each suddenly pivots on an unexpected time shift. It's the next day, or five years later, or even two goes at the same event with different outcomes. And there are unusual setups models and millionaires, a student prostrating himself before his professor, an alternative present where the internet closes forever, forcing people to get back to writing letters while the tech giants go out of business. And each time, nobody seems too phased by a new normal. Very odd. The stripped back aesthetic is strangely hypnotic as it was in Hamaguchi's Drive My Car. The stories are told in long, medium wide shots, so your attention is engaged following what's going on rather than trying to guess where the story might go in the future. What's going on is entirely in the hands of the lead character. These three women aren't necessarily easy to like. They can be selfish, easily persuaded, and manipulative, and they can be mistaken, particularly in matters of the heart. All three stories have a moment when the lead character looks back on a key moment in their life. Was that person really the love of her life, or should they have been, or was it all a terrible error of judgment? In many ways, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy is an old fashioned art film. Director Hamaguchi freely admits his debt to 50s French new wave directors like Eric Roma. It's also quite engrossing once you get on its wavelength. The final story in particular is absolutely delightful with its blend of lost love, mistaken identities, and an unexpected happy ending. Who could ask for anything more? And on that unanswerable question, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 pa of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's e u f y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best in class all in one robot vacuum for only $799.